Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Welcome to the Out of Limits of Your Truth Radio Show. OutOfLimitsRadio.com. I'm your host, Ryan. I want you to listen to the sound of my voice for one second and try not to fall asleep. <laughs> this is the sound of an individual who just achieved one of their lifelong goals and dreams. So just feel the energy right now. Because the person we are featuring on the program tonight is somebody who I have a tremendous amount of respect and admiration for. And you'll learn in a minute just how long I've been wanting to interview them. This individual has had an incredible positive impact on millions of lives. She has left an indelible mark on in the field of publishing and broadcasting. She's somebody who many would consider a great nurturer, who sees things in people, sees the true potential in people before they, they themselves even know. Who is somebody who is a reflection of peace, who continues to put peace out in the world. So to say that this is an honor to feature this individual on a program is an understatement. Let us begin. This is a very special edition of the Outer Limits of Inner Truth Radio Show because the person we are interviewing, I've wanted to interview her for guess how many years? <laughs> Two, four, nope, 27. No! 27 <laughs> years. Oh my goodness. When I first saw this book by Howard Stern, who I really loved at the time and um, a lot of respect for. I saw the interview with this individual, and I, and I was amazed at her presence and how she was just so articulate, and I knew that I wanted to talk with her. I knew I wanted to interview her, and this began this journey. So here we are right now, 27 years later, and only one or two things are going to happen. Either it's going to be a success or it's going to fail, but we're going to know the difference which one of it's going to be. Joining us now, it is a great, great honor to welcome to the program Miss Judith Regan. She is a wow. legendary publisher. She's also host of a new show called Judith Regan Presents My Side of the Story, which is going to be on the Westwood One Podcast Network. Miss Regan was an individual who discovered Howard Stern and Russell Limbaugh published both their books. She's published hundreds of successful books. And uh, Ms. Regan, it's a great honor to have you on our show. I'm, thank you so much. Ryan, for this. first of all, it's an honor to be with you, and that is the most 
uh, you know, lovely introduction I've ever heard for me or anyone else. Well, thank you. <laughs> so thank you. It's very, very kind of you, and I appreciate your your interest, and I appreciate your perseverance. Thank so you. Thank you. <laughs> thank, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Judith, you were years ahead of your time in publishing Howard Stern and Rush Limbaugh. What were your inclination that these two individuals would take the world by storm, and what is the secret to your vision in knowing who to bet on and who will be successful? Well, you know, I, I've always said that I pay attention to what's going on around me, and I try to listen. Uh, I think one of the key skills of any interviewer, and I've also, you know, hosted shows and been a reporter and a journalist for many, many years, one of the keys to success is to actually listen, and, and that's true for any human being. If you're a parent, if you're a child, if you're a neighbor, if you're a friend, if you're a publisher, wherever you are in the world, listen. Listen to what people are saying. Listen to what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they care about, what their concerns are. Don't close yourself off and think you know the solution or you know the answer or you know what's really going on. You don't know what's going on. You don't understand necessarily, you know, the suffering and concerns of other people. So I try to listen. I keep an open heart. I keep an open mind. And it always surprises me. I'm going to be 65 this year. I just got my <laughs> Medicare card. And even now, I mean, I'm still I'm pleasantly and sometimes unpleasantly surprised by human behavior and what's really going on out there. Because, you know, we all think we know, but we don't know. And, of course, the older I get, the less I know. So in terms of Howard Stern or Rush Limbaugh or any of the other people uh, whose books I've published over the years, including wonderful, wonderful novelists like Jess Walter and Wally Lamb and Doug Copeland and Gregory Maguire, who wrote a little book called Wicked, which became a major musical, you know, you fall in love with people. You think they have something fresh to say. They have a fresh point of view. They have a fresh voice. And in the case of Howard, I mean, Howard obviously had an audience. I thought Howard was funny and irreverent and amazing and insightful. And I thought at the time, and this goes back 25 years or so, people said, you know, his audience, they don't read. They're all illiterate. They're all this. They're all that. <laughs> the quote was literally people said his audience is a bunch of plumbers masturbating in trucks. I said, first of all, <laughs> my uncle is the plumbing inspector in Fitchburg, Massachusetts, and a brilliant, wonderful man. Uh, and second of all, um, I hope plumbers and other people listen to him because he's funny. Uh, and yeah, I spent a year trying to get that book because Howard interviewed every publisher in town. And, you know, at the end, I think I paid him more than anybody else. But we had a great collaboration, and it was a wonderful experience. In terms of Rush Limbaugh, at the time, and this also goes back about 25 years, he was just starting a national show, and I saw that the country, even though at the time, very interesting, the New York Times called me around that time and said, isn't it true that only liberals can sell books? I said, I don't think so. And when Rush Limbaugh's book went on sale, because the country was changing, and there was a growing conservatism, and he was somebody who spoke for a growing population of people who felt that they weren't heard in mainstream media. So his success rose with the success the Fox News Channel. All of these things were kind of born around the same time and grew, uh, you know, exponentially uh, in publishing and in the media. They finally felt that they had a voice, and of course they're very powerful organizations now, and 
more conservatives, I think, are published now than liberals, and, you know, they reign over the bestseller list very often. But it was just, you know, it was just a moment where I was listening and watching and seeing what was going on in the culture, and I felt that Rush Limbaugh represented a voice that they that, that audience felt wasn't being heard. And so I published him. I was criticized widely for publishing both Howard and Rush, by the way. I published them both in the same month. The Time magazine did a story and put them both on the cover together. Um, and they were, they were both kind of angry about the fact that I'd published the other one. <laughs> and strangely, they have the same birthday. Uh, that's incredible. That's yes. Really... They're very similar. They're very <laughs> similar. They have different points of view. <laughs> But they're actually very similar. And I, and I enjoyed working with both of them, by the way. They were absolutely – the thing about successful people, this is what I'm going to tell you. I've worked with thousands of people over the years. The ones who are truly, truly successful in whatever they do, whether you agree with them or not, whether you find them entertaining or not, A, they work harder than everyone else. They do the work. They show up. They're relentless in their pursuit of – achieving their goals, uh, and I, I always say they're A-plus students. They listen, both Howard and Rush, and here they were. Howard was at the top of the radio game. Rush was becoming someone, you know, very big in the radio business at the time, and so they had both achieved a great amount, and yet they looked at me and they said, you know the publishing world, we will listen to you. That's hard to find. Very, very, very successful people go to the experts the people who have had more experience than they have in any individual field, and they listen. They listen. They learn from them. You know, I learned from Rush and Howard, and they learned from me. And it was a great collaboration because it was about learning from each other. And the highest achieving people in the world very often have that characteristic. Excellent. And what do you think are the three qualities of healthy, mature femininity? Because in our culture today, we seem to, I think, to have a distorted view on what is considered an ideal man, an ideal woman. And I'm wondering, from your perspective, what do you think are some of the ideal qualities that a mature, healthy woman should have? Well, a mature, healthy woman or a mature, healthy man, yep. I think, should have a sense of fairness, uh, should have a heart of gold, should be generous, compassionate, thoughtful, intelligent. Um, you know, I, I really believe no matter what age you are, you should share. You should think of the other person. You should think of the other person in terms of a business negotiation, in terms of a loving relationship, in terms of a family. You try to consider the people around you. I think if you're a healthy human being, you can have a give and take. You shouldn't have to have everything for yourself, right? And along the way, you know, even when I wasn't successful, along the way, I share everything that I have, right? I, I don't want more for myself. You know, when you, when you get to a certain point in life and you have enough food and you have shelter and you have safety, and what, what is your moral obligation? You really have an obligation to take care of the people around you and help them on their journey. You know, I mean, I have a niece who has mental health issues, addiction issues, 
years and years and years of, of many, many, many problems. And the children that she had were being neglected and abused and she had horrible relationships. And it was really a dire situation. Child protection came in and removed those, those children. And I wanted to take them. <clears throat> and they put them with uh, the older child's father, who also struggled with addiction issues and mental health issues and was unable to care for them. And they were not going to school, and they were not being fed properly, and they were being left alone, and they were not they were not being cared for. And I don't want to get into the particulars of the abuse and neglect, but it was so horrific. And what do you do as a family? I call child protection. Nobody would help. They they were so busy and overwhelmed. They don't deal with anything. So <clears throat> I literally took the children. I literally went to him and said, "Look, you know, you have some issues. You need help. Why don't you let me take the kids for the summer? I'll send them to a summer camp and they'll have a break. You'll have a break." He let them go. Then I filed for custody. He he, his situation was so extreme, and these children were being so abused and neglected. It's it's really like a heart-wrenching story. And I went to lawyers, and they were like, oh, it's going to cost a million dollars. It's going to cost you like 10 years of your life, and, you know, you're never going to get custody and blah, blah, blah. Well, anyway, I said, no, no, actually, I'm going to do it myself. And the girl was cutting, suicidal, violent, you know, wasn't going to school at all, was filthy, I, it, it was a nightmare. I sent her to the camp. I sent both of them to camp. That calmed them down a bit. And there were also uh, substances involved because he was giving them pills. And I rehabilitated them over two years. They they had great medical care. I ended up sending her to a really wonderful school that is not a therapeutic school, but a, just the most nurturing wonderful environment up in the Adirondack Mountains. And she's a very bright girl. She just needed to be in a healthy situation. And uh, the boy came to live with me, and he was he went to a public school. I moved so he could go to a really good public school. He hadn't been to school basically in years, couldn't read, couldn't write, couldn't do anything. He's the most remarkable child, the most remarkable child. He just won an award for being like a model citizen and a model student and like he's so loving and caring and nurturing and when he was eight years old when he came to live with me he said to me he calls me judy he said judy do you think i'll ever have a friend this was a child who didn't have any friends because he didn't play with other children he didn't go to school like if you are an individual and you see this kind of abuse and we're seeing abuse now on the border in texas it's horrible if you sit back and remain silent and do nothing, then you have you're 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 basically a sinner as far as I'm concerned, right? Silence is sinning. Silence and looking the other way, you are now colluding with people well, who are doing atrocious things. That's gonna lead right into the next question which was gonna be that you know, we're seeing a lot of these images of immigrant children being detained. I don't think that I would not necessarily limit it to just America, but I'd say the world. I mean, treating animals, children, anyone poorly, I think is something that we should hold in content all universally. But do you think that the way America has been treating these immigrant children is a physical manifestation of an underlying collective cruel aspect of the nation's soul 
that this is some darkness that we've had for a long period of time that's coming to the surface. And I'm actually wondering if there's some kind of correlation between the way we're treating these children compared to the way we treat animals in factory farms, which animals are treated the same way, and more or less they're, they're separated from their, their mothers and the fathers, and they're brutally killed. And I'm wondering why this is happening from your perspective. Why do you think that uh, America is able to tolerate something like this, which I don't think we maybe have done years ago? Well, I mean, throughout history, um, you know, human beings have engaged in treacherous, horrendous, cruel, sadistic behavior. You know, America, which is a pretty young country, was founded by people who were fleeing other places because of injustice, prosecution, and the sadistic behaviors of people in those locations. This, this is a country that was built on people who, whose ancestors fled. They came here to get away from, from the suffering. And we have something called the Statue of Liberty that sits in New York City's harbor, this beautiful sculpture that was given to us by France. Give us your tired, your hungry, your poor. And it was a message to the world that you could come here and be welcome here. And so many immigrants have come here and built this country into a great country. Because at the end of the day, I actually believe that even genetically, the blend of all of these different cultures, it's like stray dogs, you know, who have you know, the genetic composition of a lot of different animals are sometimes stronger and more hardy than purebreds. You know, America, we're all mutts in America. And we came here from a lot of different places. My my grandmother came from Sicily. Her parents had died. Her mother died in childbirth. They were poverty-stricken. They didn't even have schools in the little village she came from. And she came here on a boat at the turn of the century and married my grandfather and had nine children. And, you know, those children grew up and became blue-collar workers and teachers and plumbers and electricians and nurses, and, and then their children went on to do other things, doctors and lawyers and business people, and that's America. And what has happened to this country that we are accepting this kind of sadistic, cruel, and inhumane treatment of other individuals is some kind of collective breakdown that this is allowed. And I think that, I, you know, I'd have to think about <clears throat> the contributing factors to this for probably years. I do think that I always wanted to write a book called How Harvard Business School Ruined the World. I think, I think that this emphasis on <clears throat> money at the expense of everything else, there's nothing wrong with wanting to make money, wanting to be successful, wanting to achieve, wanting to build businesses. I'm all in favor of it. I think it's great. But capitalism needs a conscience, and you can't just run it unchecked without a conscience. Because if you did, we'd all be serfs on a plantation and enslaved to a corporation, which is, you know, what's happened to this country. You have Walmart, you have Amazon, you have all these, com all these companies that basically have been built off the backs of everybody else, and they are making 
you know, fantastic amounts of money, they've gone into communities, ruined, you know, Wall Street, ruined Main Street. Amazon is now going to be the last company left standing. They're going to own everything, control everything, and everyone's going to be a factory worker. So we have to consider the community. We have to consider the price that's paid by the community at large if we want to call ourselves human beings. You know, I... I, and you have to you have to have capitalists who have some kind of a conscience, some kind of regard, you know. And it it shouldn't just be we're going to make a whole lot of money, we're going to throw a whole lot of people out of work, we're going to screw a whole lot of people, we're going to ruin communities, pollute the environment, destroy cultures. Because then you build a world that your children and grandchildren and great grandchildren will have to live in. You pay the price. There is a karmic kickback for every action well, that think, you take. I think we're going to experience a comic impact because I think there's a resurgence of anti-intellectualism that is going rampant and it doesn't allow people to see beyond their core belief systems. I don't know. They're kind yeah. of, I think they're walked into 100%. this distance. But I do want to uh, pivot away from this a little bit and talk about you because you know, you've, you're somebody who's accomplished so much. You've had your, your persona imprinted not only on the projects that you've worked on, the books that you've had, but your entire publishing companies. So I'm wondering... What are three aspects of your managing style that are so different from most executives, and why do you think that you succeeded when so many others have failed? I mean, look, I've had successes and failures. I, you know, I go up and I go down. And, um, you know, my management style, I grew up in a really loud uh, Irish-Italian family. Oh, similar background. <laughs> there you go. So you know. Um, you know, I always believe in – in listening to everybody and, and allowing any employee from, you know, the custodian to the receptionist to the managing editor to have a point of view, right? So everyone can, can tell me, hey, I have an idea. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? Again, it's all about listening, having an open-door policy, uh, but but having expectations. You know, I'm always somebody who believes in achievement, working hard, and setting goals, right? And I think what's happened with the millennial generation, it's a generation that needs constant, 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 constant approval. And I was the kind of mother, uh, and I'm the kind of person that will tell you you've done a great job when you've actually done a great job. <laughs> you know, I think that I think that people – Today, especially young people, are so used to, you know, oh, you're so great, oh, you're so great, and everything you do is so great, that, like, they don't even know what's great and what isn't great. Like, there's no point of differentiation. I try to actually differentiate and say, wow, this thing that you did is so thoughtful, so smart, so on point, so people can up their game, you know? And I, I really believe that you have to tell them, like, this isn't working and here are the reasons it's not working. And I think maybe if you thought about doing it this way, it might work better. But people sometimes, especially the millennials, take that as like heavy-duty criticism. Like Even my daughter is a millennial. Me. You're attacking me. You're my not. daughter's like that. I'm like, no, I'm actually just having a conversation with you. And maybe if you went to bed before 2 o'clock in the morning, you could get more done and you could get up in the morning. I'm just saying. It might work. Try it. What was the most painful experience of your life and how did it affect your ambition, creativity, ability to feel deserving of good things? Were you thankful for this painful experience and are you still transcending this painful experience? 
Um, oh, God, I've had so many painful experiences. They usually involve some kind of betrayal. Mm-hmm. So whether it's like someone you love and, you know, they betray you, and there's a million different ways that that's happened in my lifetime, <laughs> the lying, the cheating, the, you know, infidelities, da, 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 you know, all that stuff is heartbreaking. Uh, it was certainly heartbreaking uh, when my son's father, who was bipolar, alcoholic, mental health issues, just went off the charts and kind of lost his way. That was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking for me to see it happen to him. It was heartbreaking to see that my son was going to grow up without a father, which he did. Uh, and then eventually he, that he developed Parkinson's and passed away. You know, people uh, in the workplace who betray you. I've had employees who I've been very kind to and people that I've been very generous with and shared a lot with and, you know, given them great opportunities and endowed them with all kinds of things who turn around and stab you in the back and, you know, do things that are just so cruel for no reason, you know, just as a power grab. You know, I I, I hate betrayal because I'm so loyal to people. I'm very loyal to the people I love. I'm very loyal to the people I work with. And I I can't do it any other way. You know, I don't have the capacity to be kind of cold-blooded in my – that's why I'm actually not a great business person because I'm just not cold-blooded enough. You know, I <laughs> I was successful because I nurtured people. You know, I like nurturing talent and working with talent and helping them to achieve what they want to achieve. I don't really like being like a ruthless negotiator and trying to get the last dollar. It, that's not my disposition. You know, my disposition is to be creative and to build something great and build something of value, and then everybody shares in the gains, you know. But betrayal, betrayal to me is a killer. Stick a knife in my heart, twist it, it's the worst. And do you actively seek truth and wisdom? And if so, are you willing to embrace ideas and concepts, even if they happen to be a, a total affront to some of your long-held moral and spiritual beliefs? Totally. You know, I always am a seeker of the truth. And I'll always tell people the truth. You know, sometimes, you know, not to my benefit, because I'm kind of brutally <laughs> honest sometimes. You know, I try to be diplomatic. But I, I, I just can't. Like, I'm one of those people that would choke if I lied. I, I just can't do it. Uh, I can't do it in a negotiation. I can't do it in a love relationship. I can't do it in my work environment. I, I really, really believe in the truth. Right. And telling the truth and living the truth. And 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 that sometimes, you know, some people have to live in a, in a kind of deceptive bubble. They deceive themselves. They deceive others. You know, there's, they're always hiding. I have nothing to hide. Nothing. I will talk about anything, do anything. I've made mistakes. I've done stupid things. I, you know, I regret things. I, you know, we human beings are like ping pong balls. You know, we... We all kind of bump into each other and do really crazy, horrible things sometimes, and sometimes we do great things. But that's just a human experience, you know. And I, I, I try in my daily life to live an honest life. My, the young uh, boy that I adopted, when he came to me, and he was so damaged, right? And he said, "Do you think I'll ever have a friend, Judy?" 
you know, so many things. And after living with me for a couple of years, I gained his trust, and he was never very affectionate because he had been abused. And he came to me one night. He was going off to summer camp, and he actually came over and sat on my lap and gave me a hug, which he, like, never did. And he looked me straight in the eye, and he said, Judy, I just want to thank you for saving my life. That was a moment of truth. That's so that's so awesome and you know, I'm sure that you've done a lot of things to expand your consciousness, expand your awareness, grow as a person. If you were to pinpoint two particular events that had the most profound, the biggest impact on your ability to grow as a person, what would you cite those two events being? Well, definitely adopting these children because they came to me with so many challenges and this is such a great lesson for everybody everyone said to me are you crazy you're going to take kids with mental health issues and like you're just starting a new company and you're you know 60 whatever years old and are you nuts and you're not you just moved into a small you just downsized <laughs> you just got rid of your kids <laughs> You know, my kids are grown, and now I have two grandchildren, and I, you're going to do, are you nuts? And my business partner was livid. He was like, are you insane? I'm like, basically, here's the thing. If you can, you must. Okay? I could, and I had to. And it wasn't easy. And there were many challenges. They arrived, and she was violent, and she would punch her younger brother, and she cracked his tooth, and she wouldn't listen to anything. She wouldn't take a shower. She would lock herself in a room and cut herself. Like, these are big issues when you're running a company and you're working, you know, 15-hour days, and then you have to get childcare and you have to find a place that's big enough to house everybody, and you have to get them into schools, and they don't have medical records, so you have to figure out, like, did you get a vaccine? And, like, there's just so much work to do and you're also working you know a, a full-time job that's more than a full-time job because you're in the middle of a startup and so you're there at six in the morning until midnight and how do you do it i was fortunate because i had the resources at that point in my life so i can say i could do it because i could hire somebody to help hire you know child care hire the right assistant to coordinate everything and if i could do those things and i didn't do those things then what kind of a human being would i be that i knew that these children who were suffering so much were left on the side of the road and i could have at that moment done something but i didn't you have to right this is why i believe that people have a moral obligation to the people around them to ease their suffering. If you can, you must. If you have a moment, if you have the time, you know, you must. I did. I published a book with a woman, Dr. Elizabeth Ford. She's an extraordinary human being. She was a psychiatrist at Bellevue who worked with the incarcerated patients at Rikers who came over to Bellevue when they were having a psychiatric major, major psychiatric crisis and we're talking about like people who were schizophrenic and 
you know, having psychotic breaks and, like, really serious, serious issues. In 100% of their cases, these were people who had suffered horrible child abuse and neglect and, you know, just horrendous things had happened to them, which caused their suffering. And a lot of them, you know, came from really extreme, you know, poverty-stricken situations and never really had the nurturing, the love, the kindness, the care that you need to grow into a healthy human being, which is why what's happening to these children in Texas is all the more upsetting because you pay now or you pay later. You damage these children, you hurt these children, and early childhood trauma causes changes in the brain. We know this now. causes permanent brain damage. Infants being separated from their mothers causes major permanent traumatic brain changes. We know this now. This is relatively new information. We have proven this scientifically. For anyone to try to justify this, there is no reason whatsoever to separate these children from these parents. And they're trying to no use that saying the reason. Bible. They go, you know, they try to get some, oh, well, the Bible says it. And I was like, are you serious? No. That's no. Horrible. This is pure stupidity. I agree. Miss Judith Regan. It has been a great honor to talk to you again. It was a bit, it, I have to say it's surreal because I, I listened to your show on SiriusXM, and I love the way you talk, the way you interview people, and you've got this great new show, Judith Regan Presents, My Side of the Story, which is launching on June 21st on the Westwood One Podcast Network. Highly in, uh, encourage you to listen to it. Also, you know more about Ms. Regan by going to her website at reganarts.com. publishes a lot of great books. Judith, thank you so much. It was such a great honor to have you on our show today. Ryan, you're a great interviewer, and I thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Joining us now is the astrophenom, our astrologer, Ms. Costas-Tellis. To learn more about Ms. Costas-Tellis, get your own reading with Ms. Costas-Tellis, please go to our website at costas-tellis.com. Ms. Tellis, what can you tell us yes. about Ms. Judith Regan? Well, this is a powerhouse chart, in a word. Miss um, Regan is a sun sign Leo, which means that the sun was in the sign of Leo at her birth. However, that does not begin to describe the potential and actualized um, roar of this chart because she has Mercury in Leo, Mars in Leo, Pluto in Leo, as well as the sun. So that is a high concentration. Yeah. Well, it's not a lot. It's concentrated. You know, some people have many, many different signs in their chart. Her chart is very, very concentrated. And Leo, being the showman sign, being um, really unstoppable power in terms of doing, in terms of showing, in terms of drama, in terms of generosity, uh, warmth, and heat. Now... So she's in the right business, to be sure. Um, she has a muckraking quality about her, you know, trying to expose the truth, and is not shy about publicity at all. Now, when we look at her moon sign, we find Scorpio. And I guess I would say Scorpio is a stronger sign than Leo, but by a hair. So you've got these two powerhouse. They're called the fixed signs because both Leo and Scorpio fall in the middle of a season. Leo is high summer, and Scorpio is 
high or whatever you want to say, autumn. So this power, this latent power and realized and actualized power is swimming around, is uh, treading in uh, Judith Regan's chart. The Scorpio moon, you have a Scorpio moon uh, actually, Ryan, if I remember correctly, um, is a, an emotional position but secretive and the emotions don't necessarily come to the surface except when angered or stung. And then look out because um, this person doesn't brook any kind of dissing or um, meanness towards them and is willing to look into areas of life that other people would say, oh, oh no, that's a little bit too much for me. <laughs> so don't mess with Judith. Yeah, uh, I mean, uh, it's, it's a very contained, focused chart. There are things that she does incredibly well and things she's just not interested in at all. And since this summer, um, there's a big eclipse that will affect her chart. I would say that, uh, and also Jupiter is in her moon sign Scorpio, that things are um, going very well in terms of notoriety and um, publicity and everything that she does for a living and also for uh, her own sense of satisfaction. Are there any aspects that you see in her chart that um, are areas where she could be excelling that maybe she hasn't done yet? Because we people think of Judith Regan, they think, okay, well, here's somebody who's incredibly successful in publishing. She's very savvy in media. You know, she's um, been able to find a lot of people and kind of spot them before anyone else did. I'm wondering if there are other talents that she has in her chart. Well, she, she's a showman, you know. I mean, she could be in showbiz. She could... Uh, I mean, she's already on media, but she could be an actor. She could be a spokeswoman. And she also, I don't think this is her desire, but she has the kind of energy that could be a healer's energy. And she probably does this naturally because she has so much juice. By naturally, I mean that if, if you come to her and you know her and you say, Judith, I got this problem, blah, and you're talking about it, and she'll listen uh, for a while, and then and then the person will say, "Oh, gee, I feel a lot better." She hasn't done anything but uh, exchanged a certain quality of energy. And um, if she ever wanted to pursue this, uh, she would be very good at it. It's not as glamorous as media, so oh, I don't so think she, it's her. She could be a healer or a psychologist, maybe. Definitely. And she is. She's just not, that's not what her shingle says, so to speak. Uh, and the last question I have for you about Judith is, based on her chart, based on what you're seeing, are there any particular life lessons that she came in here to learn just based on that chart alone? Two. Flexibility, extreme flexibility, because she is stubbornly fixed when she decides to do something. And the second is that um, share her warmth rather than commanding center stage all the time. It's a pride question. Leo is a ruler, naturally, and you don't have to make a big deal of it and announce your greatness. You're great. So if uh, she can 
see what's good from the, the self, the real self, capital S, and what's more, look at me, look at me, look at me, I'm great, uh, that will bring a certain amount of contentment to her. It's a lifelong pursuit. Miss Constance Sellis, the astrophenomena. Thank you so much for your great analysis. Sure. Thank you to To learn more about Miss Constance Sellis and get your own chart done with Miss Constance Sellis, please go to our website at ConstanceStellis.com. Thank you so much, Miss Sellis. My pleasure. Joining us now is the clairvoyant cowgirl, psychic empath, Miss Lisa Kaza. You learn more about Miss Kaza? Get a reading with Miss Kaza by going to her website at lisakaza.com. Miss Kaza, you're focusing your attention on Judith Regan. What are some of the first things that jump out at you as far as her energy goes? Oh, well, right away. Okay, I only got to hear literally not even five minutes of your interview with her. and But I think that basically that's all I needed. She has, an, I loved her energy. It was a very motherly type of energy. Very gentle, loving, a huge heart. She sees the good in everyone. Very generous, compassionate, and empathic. And a very strong woman, too, may I add. Um, when we speak of energy, I... You know, throughout, like the, it's hard for me to explain, like when it comes to auras, but sometimes they come through in sound. And I know that sounds stupid or crazy to some people, but that's what I was getting. But a, a beautiful, beautiful pink aura. And so, you know, that goes along with the energy that I initially felt from her voice within the first 20 seconds of hearing her voice. She's very, like, a highly sensitive to the needs of others and a natural teacher and healer. Um, another thing is the hate, injustice, poverty, and conflicts. And she strives, you know, wants to strive, her spirit does, to make the world a better place. And the thing is, when she feels that passionately about something, she'll make personal sacrifices in, in pursuit of whatever she's, whatever ideal that she's trying to aim for. So with that, she's very strong-willed, highly disciplined, and she's got a, many strong values and morals. Now, in going back to the initial motherly energy, like I said, very gentle, but also extremely powerful. And so what came to me right away is her animal totem. And she shares the same animal to, one of the same animal totems that I have, and it's a deer. Now, dear, you know, they're, you know, very quiet, gentle spirits. But have you ever seen a deer attack? You know, you I, know, have to tell you comes... I was on the beach in Long Island about two weeks ago, and the deer was looking at me, and it wanted to kick my ass. And I was a little freaked out by it. And I'm like, this is kind of unusual. I'm like, what am I – it was looking at me, like, I, and my gut feel was like, get out of the way. So I wouldn't say yes, I've seen a deer attack, but this deer was not – uh, Ryan from the Outer Limits of Reno Truth Radio Show Friendly. <laughs> no. <laughs> but no, they do. They, you're good to say you better get out of the way because, yes, they are fierce. Those little hoods of theirs are nasty. And they do that because they're, they're great protectors, protectors of themselves, protectors of their young. And so this is what I'm seeing in uh, Judith with the deer totem. Like she, like coming into this world in this 
incarnation, her spirit is basically an advocate, an advocate for those less fortunate, those vulner, uh, vulnerable or unable to advocate for themselves, and those experiencing injustices are in need of protection, and also to dispel rumors and false images of people. She's here to lift people up, especially women, women going through injustices and, and harm and things of that nature. She's quite the protector. But that, that's what I was showing. She's got a very strong presence, especially with that deer. Like she's very gentle, very motherly, very compassionate and empathic. But basically, you know, don't cross her and don't get in her way when it comes to not only pursuing her own goals, but that of, you know, pursuing the goals for others and being an advocate for others in whatever capacity that she could be advocating at any given time. Miss Lisa Kaza, psychic empath. I want to thank you so much for being with us today. To learn more about Miss Lisa Kaza and to get a reading with Miss Lisa Kaza, please go to her website at lisakaza.com. Thank you so much, Miss Kaza, for your great analysis. Oh, thank you, Ryan. Okay, everyone, that concludes today's edition of the Out of Limits of the Truth Radio Show. Special thanks to our amazing and legendary guest, Miss Judith Regan. And special thanks, as always, to the Out of Limits of the Truth Radio Show Virtues, Miss Carrie O'Connor. Ms. Lisa Kaza and Ms. Constance Tellis. To learn more about the Outer Limits of the Truth Radio Show, please go to our website at outerlimitsradio.com. And wait, before I sign off, please go after your dreams. You can do it. I believe in you. You're way more talented than I am. And I know that you're going to achieve great things. And if I can do anything to help you achieve your dreams, just give me a call, send me an email. Because you deserve to, to achieve dreams. This is what life is about. I think it's about achieving dreams and having some good beer and making sure your family's okay and, you know, giving gifts at Christmas. Something, something in there. But enjoy your life. Go after your dreams. And wishing upon you an abundance of peace, love, and beers. Take good care. Thank you so much for listening.